Carlos Correa signed with 10% of the teams in the major leagues this offseason. <laughs> this is Talk Can Audio. <laughs> Episode 1054 of the Talkin Audio Podcast. Matt Robinson here with you, coming to you from our frosty studios in beautiful Bytown, Canada. As I sit here right now, I can actually hear somebody outside scraping their windows. The rain and the freezing rain has started to roll in. We're expected to get like 30 centimeters of snow overnight and through Friday. That's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, so I thought I'd better go ahead and drop this now. Because we've had a bit of a tendency here in Ottawa to lose power when the weather turns nasty over the last little bit. Uh, Didn't want that to happen. Did not want to risk not getting this podcast out. So we're dropping it a little bit early. Mike Wilner is here from the Toronto Star and the Deep Left Field podcast. Guy's been covering the Blue Jays for a very long time. Many of you have spoken to him yourself on Jays Talk back on the Fan 590 when he was doing that gig on the radio. I would highly recommend, if you enjoyed his radio work, that you check out that Deep Left Field podcast. Uh, Mike's always pulling down great interviews plus great coverage of the team, so make sure you subscribe to that. We'll drop the the links in the show notes if you'd like to do that for yourself, as well as read his work in the Toronto Star. Uh, If you haven't had a chance yet, go back and hit up episode 1053. Our friend Sean Fitzgerald from The Athletic was here, uh, and we talked all sorts of Canadian sports media stories to watch in 2023. He had just put out a piece on that in The Athletic and uh, all kinds of stuff in there about the Leafs radio booth not traveling still. You're the richest team in the league and you can't send your radio guys on the road. Uh, That's a little bit odd. Certainly a new uh, TV deal for the PWHPA league that's going to be starting hopefully sometime this year. They're going to need a TV contract. I'll be interested to see what that looks like. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, of course, and his interests in buying into the NHL, specifically here in Ottawa. Uh, Lots of great stuff to cover with him. And Sean had also recently put out a piece kind of chronicling the career of Scott Stevens and how different that career looks here in 2023 than what it looked like while it was happening, right? While he was laying these punishing body checks and just running people over, the guy was great at what he did. And now we've learned a little bit more about concussions and CTE and things like that. And so we sometimes now look at that legacy a little different. What he did during his career hasn't changed, but the way we look at it has. And so uh, it was a really interesting read. And I asked Sean a little bit about that as well. Like I said, that was episode 1053. If you want to go back and check that out at tallcanaudio.com or whatever app you're hearing us on right now. And while you're there, you might as well just hit subscribe. You might as well just hit follow. We're going to keep good stuff coming for you here. With that, let's bring him in from the Toronto Star and the Deep Left Field podcast. Mike Wilner's here. How you doing, Mike? Uh, good holidays. Everything uh, everything looking good on your end? Yeah, everything's all right over here. It's uh, um, things, you know, not too much snow, which is lovely. Um, and uh, depending on when this is going to go out, I've... Uh, I'm excited. Well, regardless of when this is going to go out, I'm still excited about hosting the Baseball Canada Awards banquet on the weekend on the 13th, first time since 2020 that they were bringing it back. Oh, wow. Uh, and that's going to be a blast. And um, 
the St. Thomas Sports Spectacular down in southwestern Ontario, <laughs> uh, which will be on the 18th, which is going to be incredible. Also back for the first time since 2020. So it's, uh, it's a big mid-January for me. Going to have a lot of fun. They're keeping you busy. Uh, and I saw you dropped a new episode of the podcast today. What, uh, what can we expect on that one? Yeah, every Thursday, a new episode of the podcast. And this one is episode 94. Uh, so you'll get to hear my thoughts on the Blue Jays bringing in Brandon Belt, who I'm a big fan of and have been for a long time. And I also got to talk to Mitch White, oh, wow. who I know, you know, it didn't leave the best impression on Jays fans his first couple of months with the team, uh, but it's a terrific conversation. And Derek Shelton, the manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates, who was a coach with the Jays back in 2017. So another award-winning episode of Deep Left Field is, is uh, ready and waiting for people to tune into. We'll make sure the uh, links for that are in the show notes here. We always describe our podcast as another award-eligible edition of the podcast, <laughs> but uh, we'll see how uh, how things shake loose here. Maybe you're the one who puts us over the top and gets us a win here, Mike. Uh, hey, whatever I can do, right? Right. Um, let's go back in time just a little bit, and, and before we touch on a couple of the things that the Jays actually did, we, we witnessed one of the crueler things that, that baseball can often provide, which is a very, very successful 162-game season that puts you at home for a playoff series, and then quick two and out, and you're, uh, you're done, your season's over. Was there anything that we could take away from those two games against Seattle that we didn't already know in the regular season that this team should be looking to address in the offseason, or is it just far too small of a sample size to take any kind of definitive... Uh, action based on that series with Seattle? Oh, you can never take any definitive action based on what happens in a playoff series, win or lose. It's just such a, you know, two games tells you nothing. And and really, you know, you had the Blue Jays that had the second best offense in the American League over the course of the regular season get shut out at home in the first game. Yeah. And then uh, blow an 8-1 lead you know, it was an historic comeback uh, by the Mariners in that game, something that should never happen. And, and you know, it, it's funny to hear everybody say, oh, we knew the bullpen was terrible. Well, no, you, you had 10 outs to get. And any bullpen, no matter how bad it is, should be able to get 10 outs before giving up seven runs, yeah. <laughs> or in the Jays' case, nine. Um, so that... No, that had nothing. You know, Anthony Bass faced three guys. They all got hits. Jordan Romano gave up a little bloop three-run uh, double. It it That doesn't say, oh, yeah, see, we knew the Jays had a bad bullpen. That's why this happened. So, no, you, you, you can't really take anything from, uh, from two games. What you can get from it is now, you know, Alec Manoa has started a playoff game. And... Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. have played in a real playoff game in front of fans. Um, and Alejandro Kirk, too. And, you know, it's, it's, it's another piece of experience for these guys that hopefully will serve them well as their careers go on. It's funny for to hear it called a, a, an historic comeback, which it was, but... In Blue Jays fans' minds, it feels more like a historic collapse. Perhaps the same yeah. thing. Everything a matter of perspective, right? But if Toronto had won Game Two, we remember that game, 
as the Teoscar Hernandez game. Two home runs. Right. He, he goes on to be one of those figures that we think of, you know, the the Edwin game, the Donaldson dash, the the Batista, you know, big home run there. He he etches his name kind of into that group. And instead, we find not too long after the season that he's dealt to Seattle. And I guess, you know, we don't have to go through every move that the Jays have made here through the offseason piece by piece. But I wonder when you look at the trade that they made to deal away to Oscar Hernandez for a little help in the bullpen, if you think that they might have been better to wait just a little bit longer. Because what we did see around the winter meetings was prices were very high, you know, guys were getting paid big time. Do you think there's any chance that if the Jays had it to do over, they might have waited another month just to see if the price went up a little bit for what they could get for him? I don't know. I think that's always a little dangerous to do, right? And and um, prices went up for, I mean, you're talking about free agents, right? Yep. And, you know, the money that Aaron Judge signed for and all that stuff. Teoscar Hernandez had one year left for $14 million, so not especially expensive, but it's one year. Um, and you know, he didn't have a great season. Um, he salvaged it with a, a huge run in September, but he was just, you know, average to okay. Most of the year he came back too quickly from the, I think it was an oblique injury mm-hmm. early in the season. Uh, and, and that affected him. So you're not exactly selling high on Tay Oscar, no matter when you're doing it. Um, and they, they got a reliever who had like a whip under one and a strikeout an inning and an ERA under two. Um, Eric Swanson will help this team quite a bit. And who knows what Adam Macko will be. It's a lefty with a huge arm, Canadian kid, um, a lottery ticket, but maybe with a chance. Uh, so I think, th- I think they did okay. Uh, and I think they did okay for what they wanted to do. They wanted to save some dough. And, you know, in the money they save, they get Swanson and Kevin Kiermeyer, and they paid Alton Varsho. So um, I don't know how much better they could have done had they waited. One of the questions that was kicked around quite a bit after, you know, a couple of moves here, we've seen Teoscar traded and in a, in a different trade, uh, Lourdes Gurriel was traded. Do you think that was coincidental in that those were the pieces that other teams were asking for? Or do you think there was a conscious effort to kind of shake up the barrio a little bit and, and change some of the atmosphere? The people have complained, you know, fans from the outside have complained about, you know, maybe the way things are done in the in the dugout and the home run jacket and all these sorts of things. Do you think management had a concentrated effort here to shake things up um, in terms of team chemistry and that sort of stuff? Or were those just the guys that, that happened to be dealt away? Um... I don't think it's that simple a yes or no. Right. Uh, I don't think it had anything to do with breaking up the barrio. I think that's overstated by fans who who are stuck in this stupid hockey mentality <laughs> of, you know, you can't have fun while you're at work. Right. It's ridiculous. Um, and no, I don't think management had a problem with the corner of the dugout or with um, – you know, the Blue Jays enjoying themselves. They, they, they made the playoff. They had the third best record of the American League for <laughs> almost the whole season. Um, no, there's nothing nothing wrong with that at all. I think there was a concentrated effort to improve the outfield defense. And for that reason, those were the guys to move. Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. were both not good defensive outfielders. Um, I think Hernandez 
they had made the decision early that they were going to move him. Obviously, they made that move so quickly in the offseason. But Gurriel, I think they wanted to keep around. I think they would have liked him as a right-handed complement to Varsho, um, as a backup first baseman, as a guy who can DH a little bit. But Arizona insisted on him, and they they weren't going to make the deal uh, without getting Guriel back. So the Blue Jays caved and said, okay, getting Dalton Varsho is more important to us than holding on to one more year of Lourdes Guriel Jr. Um, so so he left. It's too bad because they're, they're both like beloved teammates right. by everybody and, and wonderful guys, and um, and they'll, they'll be missed. But the outfield defense is now, you know, conservatively a bazillion times better than it was last year. Uh, they, they're more left-handed. Their lineup is more balanced and, and diversified. And, um, you know, if, if the plan was for Guriel to be the fourth outfielder and he's a year away from free agency, that's a guy that you throw into a trade like that to make it happen. Right. Uh, the total trade sees that him leaving with Gabriel Moreno to bring back Dalton Varsho. Uh, the, the, the discussion all last season on which of these three catchers were going to be traded was fascinating. And each of them had their reasons to be dealt and reasons to be kept and what other teams might value, you know, Jansen and what, you know, your pitching staff uh, loves working with him, Kirk and his, you know, his offensive package that he brings. Moreno, of course, is you know, this highly touted prospect, but in some ways still the mystery box. Were you, you know, as you kind of looked around at what the Jays were going to do this uh, this offseason, was Moreno the guy you thought would go or, you know, did it surprise you a little? He was the guy I thought would go. Uh, absolutely. Because, look, the Blue Jays are in a win-now mode. They're set up to win a World Series uh, or to compete for a World Series. And... These are the kind of moves that teams like that make. You have Alejandro Kirk, who's 23 and was an all-star and had an unbelievable first half of the season and is a really good defensive catcher, Mm -hmm. terrific uh, at framing for as long as that's still going to be a thing. You know, when when the electronic strike zone comes in, it won't matter how you frame anymore, but he's got a good arm. He's, He's a very good defensive catcher. And Danny Jansen is the exact guy you want behind the plate on a championship caliber team. So I thought it would have been a huge mistake to move Jansen. It would have been a big mistake to move Alejandro Kirk. And depending on what you get back, Moreno's the guy. He gets you the most because he's got that prospect shine on him. Jansen's only got two years left. He's been hurt a lot. Kirk doesn't get you as much as he should because of the bad body and people think he's going to wear down. Uh, and he is, but probably not for another four or five years. Right. Um, so Moreno isn't ready yet. You know, I don't think that it's a coincidence that in the games he started behind the plate this year, the Jays went four and 13. He's, he's not ready yet. And he could wind up being phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And more power to him if he does, and more power to the Arizona Diamondbacks if he does. But you move him to get the best defensive outfielder in baseball who also hit 27 home runs last year, um, that's 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 a move you make 100 times out of 100. 
Can you tell us uh, a little bit more about Dalton Varshall? Because being out in the NL and playing late night, and he's a guy we don't know, or, you know, a lot of Blue Jays fans don't know a ton about. Um, You know, interesting numbers. His defense looks fantastic. I've seen a couple people tweeting about maybe a little concern about his splits, lefties versus righties. But tell us a little more about Dalton Varshall. Yeah, I'm never concerned about splits as long as you can hit right-handers. I really, it you know, if if someone hits righties well, they'll play over two thirds of the time and and play well. And you can always find a right-handed compliment to someone who is really good defensively and hits right-handed pitching. Like these lefty killers are are abundant in the wild. They're a dime a dozen, easy to find. There's like nine of them right now still out on the free agent market. <laughs> and the Jays will grab one when, you know, when the music stops and they, they see that they don't have a chair. Um, so I don't care that he can't hit lefties. Uh, I really don't. Um, he's got an 800 OPS against right-handed pitching, and he is the best defensive outfielder in the major leagues. He's going to be the Blue Jays center fielder, in the post-Kevin Kiermeyer era, or maybe even sooner if Kiermeyer can't stay healthy. Um, and that's a, a position of, it was a position of weakness for them. Uh, there's nothing really bubbling up in the system. So they solve center field until 2026, uh, and he'll be in left field this year. He's, he's an outstanding defender. Like when I say the best defensive player, the best defensive outfielder in the major leagues, it's not hyperbole. I'm not exaggerating. It's, by the the independent metrics, the outs above average and defensive runs saved, all that stuff, he is the best outfielder in the major leagues. So that's a huge plus. Mm -hmm. And he's got – Arizona's not an easy ballpark to hit in. They've got a humidor in there now, and and the balls just don't travel like they used to. So it's coming from there to here. And those ballparks in the National League West, San Francisco and L.A., and San Diego are all huge pitchers ballparks. So come to the AL East with Fenway and Yankee Stadium, which is a joke for left-handed hitters. And you know, Baltimore is, is tougher on righties now, but lefties still have that short porch. Um, you know, the power should play up. And he's, you know, he's gonna be someone who the Blue Jays, who Blue Jays fans are really gonna love watching. And he's Kevin Pilar with power. And who will take a walk. Right. Uh, so it's, it's, he's, it won't be long. I don't think until Blue Jays fans really, really fall in love with him. Do you think they make the Kiermaier signing if they had known this trade was coming ahead of time? Or was that kind of a, it does seem odd that you're going to put this guy, not odd. I mean, if Kiermaier's healthy, he's very good defensively as well, but it does seem odd that, you know, you're putting him, taking him out of center field and moving him over to left field. Do you think it's just the order that things presented themselves uh, to the Jays or would they have done this either way? I wonder. Yeah. I, I wonder. You know, that's a, it's a good question um, because you know Varsho in center would be excellent too. Mm-hmm. But like you said, Kiermaier is. I mean, he's one of the all-time best center fielders defensively ever. Right. Um, and if he's got his legs underneath him, which he didn't for the last couple of years before the hip surgery, um, he's a game changer both defensively and on base. Right, he turns singles into doubles all the time. He rushes infielders. He's he wreaks havoc on the bases, um, and it would be great if that's back. And he says it is. We'll see. Um, 
But yeah, I I wonder if they got Varsho first. Because when I thought when they signed Kiermaier, I thought, okay, he's here to be the fourth outfielder, right? He replaces Tapia and Zimmer and Jackie Bradley right. in one guy. But then they said, no, he's going to play center field every day, which makes things very interesting. <laughs> you had to imagine they were talking to Arizona the whole time, and they kind of knew that it might happen. But yeah, I wonder if Varsho comes first, do they get a different type of player to play left field for them? Are they more interested in like a Michael Conforto or or something along those lines? Um, knowing that they've got that defense up the middle set already, we'll never know. But right. but it's it's an interesting thought experiment for sure. It's pretty clear with what they've done this offseason, and they they made that clear going into the offseason. One of the things they were going to be focused on was run prevention, and a big part of that is was you know adding to uh, the rotation. And so early on in the offseason, they bring in Bassett. Is there any concern to you? The only thing that, you know, he's, he's going to be a little further down in the rotation. If, as a number four guy, he should be fine, but he has pitched quite a bit um, at City Field, and then, of course, out west, like we talked about in Oakland, I believe it was. Are you worried at all about the opposite of what we just talked about for Varsho coming into all these small ballparks in the AL East, or uh, is that not going to be an issue for him? I might. Yeah. I mean, who knows? We, we we won't know until we see it. But yeah, the the you know the opposite holds true. It's, uh, the power will play up for hitters who come out of the those big ballparks like. Varsho and like Brandon Bell, um, what'll happen to the pitchers who are used to pitching in bigger ballparks? Now, um, the thing about Bassett is that he's consistently among the major league leaders in weak contact. So it's not like this is a big fly ball guy who's been saved by the ballparks pitching in Oakland and, and New York, but you can't discount the fact that those are really, really pitcher-friendly ballparks. He sees the challenge. He, he, uh, you know, I asked him about that, and he was like, "I love when people ask me those questions." <laughs> no, move the fences in another hundred feet. I don't care. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's great to hear, but uh, but the proof's in the pudding. And the, the good thing is that he only has to be the three or four here, right? I expect Jose Barrios to be back to being Jose Barrios, especially with the improved defense behind him, um, and so. Bassett is only the three or four and could fit in really, really well. Uh, obviously, the Jays liked him a lot more than they liked Ross Stripling because they offered him almost three times as much money as they offered Strip yeah. uh, and, and another year. Um, but uh, but I think, you know, given his track record and given his compete level, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Well, Ross Stripling is a guy that you know well and, and Jays fans will will miss. I think most of them... You know, I think Strip was pretty uh, popular here, but he has been immediately replaced by someone else uh, ready to take the Chicken Strips nickname on as the Jays bring in Brendan Belt here over the last week or two. Um, what can we expect out of him? I know he had a, a monster 20 and 21, not so good in, in 22. Uh, are you confident that he's going to be able to, to bounce back and kind of spell Vladdy a bit at first? Obviously, there'll be some DH there. Uh, what, what can we expect out of him? Yeah, I, I'm expecting very big things from Brandon Bell. I mean, uh, again, having watched him from the the old days in San Francisco, this is a guy who's got power uh, that will 
absolutely play up here. Uh, he'll take a walk. He knows what he's doing in the batter's box. A good veteran left-handed hitter. Um, and I, I expect a lot from him. I expect him to be like a middle-of-the-order bat for the Jays uh, and, and be very, very productive in there, maybe like between a Vladdy and a Kirk or something like that. Um, I, I think he's going to get a lot of time at DH and he'll play first once or twice a week uh, to give Vlad a breather, let Vladdy DH a little bit. Last year, his knee just gave out on him. He couldn't um, couldn't really do anything, and it kept swelling up. It got to the point where uh, it wasn't just the pain, but it was the swelling and it was the lack of mobility in the knee uh, that he had to just say, I'm having surgery. I'm done uh, for the season. And he, he told us that he thought, you know, he might be finished, that, that the career might be over, that if the knee didn't respond well to the surgery, um, he was done. But the knee's been great. He says he feels amazing. He's put it through all kinds of tests, and it's passed every single one of them. He's chasing his kids around the yard again. Uh, so, again, you know, we'll see. Once he gets to spring training, the daily baseball grind starts. Will it still hold up? Will it be fine? Uh, just like Kevin Kiermeyer's hip. But there's no reason to believe that a surgically repaired joint isn't going to behave at least for, you know, a couple of years. Right. So I'm confident that Belt will be, you know, maybe not quite the guy he was in 20 and 21 where he had a 988 OPS combined and he was one of the best hitters in the major leagues. But I think he'll be at least as good as Teoscar Hernandez was last year, if not better. And Teoscar had like a, an 801 OPS or something like that. I think that's more than reasonable to expect from Belt. And I think that, you know, he's going to, I think the plan's for him to play a lot, but even if it isn't, he'll work his way into more and more playing time uh, because he's he's going to produce because he has for his entire career. And he's, you know, almost exactly the kind of bat that the Jays really could use. Uh, he and Varsho together. Guys with power, who will take a walk, who hit left-handed to balance out this heavily right-handed lineup. It's, it's, it's a, for me, a phenomenal signing out of nowhere. Yeah. I didn't see this coming one bit. Um, I thought, you know, Alejandro Kirk was going to DH the bulk of the time. But I think they they saw how much he wore down in the second half last year. You know, he only hit two home runs after the end of July. And his OPS was like 630 for the last two months of the season after it was 870 the, the first four. So I think, you know, the idea of Kirk catching twice a week and DHing four times a week is probably a little much for him. Uh, so having Belt in there is going to really help things out. So we've mentioned all these names that the Jays have gone. It, it's turned out to actually be a reasonably busy off season for them. Uh, but with Bassett and Varsho and Belt, um, you know, everybody let's a miracle occurs and everybody stays healthy all <clears throat> year long. And uh, let's throw Kiermaier into the mix here as well. Which of these new guys has the biggest impact on the Jays' season? Oh, Varsho. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, but, and we might not even notice 
right? How much of an impact he has. That's the thing. When you talk about run prevention and, and, and you talked about it earlier that, you know, you said run prevention and then you immediately said the pitching, but run prevention is so much more than that. And we don't, it's, it's impossible to evaluate. Like you can try to put a number on things defensively, but you just, it's, it's so hard to do. And the average observer and even a lot of the above average observers would just be like, all right, that's a nice catch. Boy, this guy's a great pitcher, you know? So (laughs) what we're going to see the, the, the amount of balls that were hits in the outfield last year is going to be so drastically reduced by the fact that the Jays now have three center fielders, two of them, unbelievable and george springer's not so bad himself so just the the fact that the outfield defense has improved so dramatically is going to stop so many hits that we won't even know oh oh, okay he caught that ball but lourdes guriel doesn't catch that ball and it doesn't have to be a spectacular catch you know a ball towards the line in right field. Teoscar Hernandez doesn't catch that ball. George Springer doesn't. He makes it look easy. And we'll think, oh, well, that's just a fly ball. But it's it's a double last season. So, you know, there's a reason that Kevin Gosman had the highest batting average on balls in play for any pitcher in Major League history last year <laughs> at 368. So, and it, it's because the corner outfielders were terrible and now the corner outfielders are phenomenal and that's going to be the biggest difference even if we don't notice it so maybe you've uh, already answered this then but we look at uh, the guys that we've that the jays have brought in this offseason and we you, we got to count the guys that have left in in teo and stripling and and guriel and moreno the jays are are different they've added left-handed uh, power and, and left-handed bats to the lineup that was sorely missed last year. They're a, they're clearly a different team than last year. Are they a better team than last year? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I don't think losing Moreno matters because he barely played last year and he was going to be the third catcher this year. Um, and if, you know, I was, it's mean to say this, but when Jansen gets hurt mm-hmm. or when Kirk gets hurt, you're going to need somebody. Um, but you know, a Tyler Heineman type will help out for that sort of thing. And, uh, and they signed Rob Brantley to a minor league deal. So Rob Brantley will help out if he needs to, uh, if the blue Jays get hurt, but don't forget Varsho's a catcher too, right? Right. Dalton Varsho has caught, um, almost as many games as he's played in right field. And more than he's played in center, I believe. So that like he's a unicorn. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you're really in a pinch, you can move him back there. And not even if you're really in a pinch, uh, he's the third catcher on this team as they break from spring, um, and he'll go in behind the plate when they have to run for Jansen or Kirk or or something late in the game. If in a game in which they're both playing, but having Brandon Belt also helps too to not have Jansen and Kirk playing in the same game all that much, even though you don't have to worry about it with Varsho out there. Um, So Moreno for me, wasn't going to be an impact player for the blue Jays in 2023. Um, He'll get probably 
10 times the at-bats in Arizona as he would have gotten here. Um, but, the, you know, the loss of Gurriel and Hernandez's offense is replaced by Varsho and Belt's offense. The Kiermaier lack of offense is something, but the defense should overcome that. And again, he's going to be the nine hitter. And whenever he gets on base, good things are going to happen. Even though he's not going to get on base that much, it's not, you know, it's not disgusting. He's not like a guy who, he's not Brad Zimmer. Right. <laughs> or even Jackie Bradley. He's going to have an on-base percentage that is close to the major league average. He'll be a slightly below average. He's not going to have the power, but he'll be a slightly below average on-base guy. And that's fine. So, yeah, and, and with Swanson in the bullpen, uh, moving in there with Romano and Simber and Meza and Yimmy Garcia, this is, it's, it's a good bullpen. I don't think people want to see it, but it's a good bullpen. It's an outstanding starting rotation. This is a really good team. So, yeah, I, I do think they're better than they were at the end of last year. Who else would you say that about this offseason? As you look around, what other team has caught your eye and, and you've gone, wow, they've had a really nice couple of months here in improving their team? Hmm. That's a good question. Honestly, I haven't been paying a ton of attention about who's going where and everything. Philly, I think, picking up Trey Turner and Taiwan Walker yeah. is huge for them. Um, the Yankees adding Carlos Rodon is big, but they didn't do anything else. You know, they kept Aaron Judge. They kept Anthony Rizzo. These aren't additions. These are just, you know, not losing guys. Rodon is huge, but also a pretty brittle guy. Um, Tampa hasn't done anything. You know, they're talking about Zach Eflin as being their, the most expensive free agent they've ever signed. And it's true, he is. But he's, that, that doesn't make him not Zach Eflin. Right. Right? He's still just okay. Um so I don't know, looking around the American League, like Houston lost Justin Verlander and didn't really replace him. Um, a couple of teams have added Carlos Correa and then lost him. Yeah, <laughs> Carlos Correa signed with 10% of the teams in the major leagues yeah. this offseason. Um, but again, he goes to Minnesota and that's not an ad. It's just a, a maintenance. Right. Um, so I don't know. I'm not really over. I mean, Texas did some stuff. Good for them, Jacob Degrom uh, yeah. and Andrew Heaney. Um, and Texas could be a whole lot better, um, but yeah, I don't think anyone's really, um, really blown me away. But that's okay too, because you know, teams that win the winter usually don't uh, go on big, huge playoff runs. Yeah, for some reason. Uh, last one for you then. Let's uh, let's predict the division. I know uh, as of the second week of April, everything will be upside down and guys will be hurting and it'll not look anything like we expect. But I, I do assume that Baltimore is going to continue to be on the come. They didn't have a huge offseason, but they're young and talented. And uh, I don't know if this will be the year they get there, but they came way closer last year than I thought they might. Uh, as you said, the Yankees are always kicking around, but uh, I don't know. Like you said, Boston seems to... I don't know. They they seem a little bit back for me. How do you see the division shaking loose? Boston stinks. I mean, let's, yeah. you know, let's not be nice. You don't have to be nice. Uh, <laughs> they they improved the bullpen um, 
dramatically, but starting rotation is still kind of weak. Uh, Bogarts is gone. Trevor Story might be out for the whole season. Uh, they're in trouble. Boston's Boston's going to be bad. Um, Baltimore did a, a lot better than any of us expected last year, but that's, you know, when a team wins 31 more games than they did the year yeah. before. It's chances, not always linear, right? Like it's, right. Yeah. The chances of them improving on that are very slim. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to be fine. They're going to be a team that's no longer the laughing stock of the league by any means or of the division, and they'll be helped too by the fact that everyone in the AL East will be helped by the fact that they won't play as many games in yeah. the division anymore. Um, but yeah, I see Baltimore finishing a solid fourth ahead of Boston in the division. And then it's Tampa, the Yankees, and the Jays. And um, I think the Blue Jays are the best team of the three. I think the Yankees were uh, an illusion last year. They got off to this incredible historical start to the season uh, that they were just playing so far above their heads. Uh, and then they, they hit a wall and were just okay I mean, they were bad in July and August, and they salvaged uh, it in September. But they had given themselves so much of of a lead with what they did before the All Star break that they were fine. But you know, Aaron Judge basically carried them for the last three months of the season, and there's almost no chance that Aaron Judge has a kind of year <laughs> and, like that was that was his career year. Yes, he's never going to be that good again. Um, so the Yankees are going to have to get a more diversified offense and get stuff spread out from all over um, that, that they just couldn't get last year. So I, I don't think they're as good as a lot of people think they are. And Tampa Bay always surprises. They always play better than they're supposed to. They always... Um, Some rookie of the year just shows up in June from right. minors that no one's ever. Yeah, heard of. and they, you know, they use seventy three pitchers in a year, and they're all of an ERA under two. Um, and and I don't know how it happens, but it happens. So I'm not writing them off, but um, but I do expect, I do think the Jays are the best of the the five in the AL East. Doesn't necessarily mean they'll win the division, um, but uh, but they should be an easy playoff team again just like they were last year. Uh, I appreciate you doing this, especially on short notice, Mike. Um, I, I, you've always made uh, time for me when I've come knocking. I'm, I'm sure I will again before the season starts, but uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, happy to do it. Thanks for asking. Thank you to Mike Wilner of the Toronto Star and the Deep Left Field podcast. Appreciate him making the time and uh, yeah, helping us kind of get refocused, get reset on everything that the Blue Jays have done over the last uh, several months since they were eliminated by Seattle. Believe it or not, as we sit here now, and if you're here in the uh, nation's capital where I am, you're kind of probably sitting in the middle of a blizzard or a post-blizzard world. Uh, Believe it or not, we are like one month from pitchers and catchers reporting to, uh, to spring training. So baseball on the horizon, if you can just get through this stretch of winter, uh, baseball will return shortly. So thank you again to Mike Wilner. Like I said, if you haven't had a chance, go back and check out episode 1053 with uh, Sean Fitzgerald from The Athletic. And uh, Rob will be back in here on Sunday to put together your Monday morning show. So uh, stay tuned for that as well. Until then, my name is Matt Robinson. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you all on the next episode of Tall Can Audio. Yeah.
hell was that? Number one bullshit. Oh, number one bullshit. Why are you so pissy?